One guest, 10 songs, 10 reasons. Music was my first love on Radio Glamorgan. How to make shelves. And, you know, it was that awful how to make shelves with planks and things and how to feed a family of eight on baked potatoes and three odour eaters, you know? You don't know how excited I've been about chatting with my guest on this edition of Music Was My First Love because when she was a daily fixture on our TV screens back in the 90s, I was a massive fan and always will be. She's been a firm fixture in TV and radio for 45 years, which has included stints on Pebble Mill, Radio 2 and Radio Devon. And who can forget her first sidekick, Gus Honeybun. Lots to talk about with Judy Spires and some great music on the way, kicking off with her first choice from the Four Tops. And Four Tops featuring Judy Spires on backing vocals. Uh, I am delighted to say, Judy Spires, welcome to Radio Glamorgan's Music was my first love. Oh, thank you. No, you didn't just hear me singing that, did you? I could hear every perfect note. Oh, no. I was keeping it low. I was keeping it low. (laughs) Tell me about uh, your first choice in the Four Tops. Oh, well, I'm a Motown girl. And um, I was going to clubs uh, in Plymouth when I shouldn't have been. Uh, oh. Too young, but my girlfriend had one of those reel-to-reel Grundig players, recorders. Remember the old Grundig, mm-hmm. and she had a whole Motown tape on it. And we used to we used to be getting ready to go out on a Saturday night, spitting into our Max Factor mascara. That's what you did <laughs> in those days, putting it on with a cheeky glass of something that we'd nicked from the back of the, her mother's cocktail cabinet. You know, one of those lime green or yellow bottles, yeah. uh, Avocar that's there for six years. Anyway, and um, we would listen to this, and uh, the Grundig always had, it always started on a bit of a wow. So it was like, (laughs) (laughs) but I just love that record. It was just, it just sums up that period of time for me. Did you uh, have music growing up at home? No. No. Uh, Not particularly. Um, uh, Yeah, well, well, I say that. Um, Yeah, I suppose we did, but we we didn't have a sort of culture of music around the house. But I, I will just tell you that years later, I met the Four Tops. And they came to the Pebble Mill Studios and they were doing a big gig at the NEC that night. And so I had tickets to go. And one of them said, you know, oh, we're going to call you up. You know, we're going to say hello to you. Yeah, so I find lovely. So I'm there sitting with all my friends and they said, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to call up a little lady to join us on the stage to sing. It's Judy Spires here. And to my shame, I slunk down in my seat with all my friends going, go on, go on. I was going, no, stop, 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 stop it. Because I couldn't sing. I mean, I could do karaoke, but it's a very good job I didn't. They kept calling for me. It's a very job I didn't because the four people they got up were corkers. You'd have thought they were plants for Britain's Got Talent or something. But to my shame, I didn't join them. So do you regret it? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Before we we chat in depth... Uh, let's move straight on to your second choice from uh, one of my musical heroes, Van Morrison, an ever-growing catalogue. So why, in particular, someone like you? Um, when I used to work as a, an Envision pre- uh, presenter on um, Westwood Television, a continuity announcer, right. sometimes you do evening duties, which I hated doing because I felt the whole world was out enjoying themselves, and there I was stuck in a studio again. Good evening, how are you? <laughs> anyway, I would come back to my cottage very, very late at night, and it was just just as I'd met my husband-to-be, as he was then, 
and he was a great he introduced me really to Van Morrison and it was in the days where you came back and played your answer phone because people actually left you messages and I remember coming home late one night about midnight pressed the answer phone and this came oh. on and I was I just no words no he didn't say anything I knew it was for him from him and from then on I've been just a great fan of Van the Man. Is he still an old romantic husband? He's <laughs> old. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, you trained as an actress. How big an ambition was that of yours? I wanted to be a film star. Yeah. I didn't want to be. I didn't want to go on stage. I didn't want to be. Olivia, or I didn't want to be Juliet or Queen. You know, I wanted to be a film star. I got the drippings of Hollywood from my dad, and uh, I that Hollywood was my big sort of thing, really. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't uh, when I went to drama school. You know, I had a mini skirt that just covered my best accessories. I had uh, <laughs> red hair, which was back home to within an inch of its life. Um, Bambi eyelashes on that would sweep the floor. Uh, and a front loader bra that barely contained everything. <laughs> and I wasn't your classic stage Juliet or, you know, so I never got any of those parts. So I didn't get all those great parts on stage, which uh, is fine. I was happy with the character, the Julie Walters parts, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was funny. I love acting. Um, and I suppose I just wasn't very realistic. That's what I wanted. Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> You began your TV career with Westwood Television in 77. Yeah. How did that break come your way? Oh, well, you used the right word, break there. Um, I was an actress, came home from... Where did I come home from? Came home from drama school, went to a party, woke up the next morning in intensive care. Um, I'd slept, walked out of a window and broken my back. And uh, they didn't know if I'd ever walk again and blah, 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 all that. And um, family meeting decided, oh, she can't go back on the stage. She can't, she's not a fit stage. She can't walk, blah, blah, blah. And then my mm, sister-in-law's mum rang up and said, uh, don't know if Judy's seen an advert in the local paper. Well, Judy didn't read the local papers. Um, and they want an in-vision continuity announcer, somebody with some experience vocally. Well, luckily, when I'd been at school, um, my drama teacher used to do voices on their, you know, their pick-of-the-post kind of programs. Mm. And she got me in to do children's voices. Sometimes there would be some at Christmas and it would be, Dear Father Christmas, I would like to say that I would like for Christmas. And so I would do sort of voices for them. And then later on, um, there was a, a treasure hunt. It was a, a, a local quiz programme, which Jethro, actually the comedian, uh, later went into. But they needed a hostess for it. And I said, I remember saying to the director, Can you get me an equity card? So he said, yes, 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 we'll sort all that out. Anyway, it, I knew people there. And I went for the audition um, as an Envision continuity announcer. I had a long smock on. It was the sort of 70s. I was still dragging one leg uh, because of my back. Um, I had welder's flash from a sunray lamp, so I had dark glasses on. I was in a right old state. <laughs> <laughs> and I did the audition, and um, I got the part. Uh, when I, I got the job as a con relief continuity announcer in the summer and they were so happy with me they took me on as the fourth 
uh, main continuity announce, and that's how it started. Do you still, 40-odd years later, do you just have interest? Do you still have trouble with your back because of that? Um, well, it'll, it's never. It's always there. Um, I have done lots of things. I've done karate. I've done diving. I've done judo. I've done, and I'm very fit. But um, a, a break will always mend but you can go into spasm around it other parts of your body take over to try and look after it you get into muscle guarding that sort of thing so i have to be careful with it so although the acting career didn't take off uh your first leading man uh came via westward now who was gus honeybun now it was the boss at the time of continuity, um, David Sunderland, boss of presentation, came up with this idea that we should have a little character um, to read out children's birthdays. Obviously, he didn't read them out because no. it was a, like a, 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 I hate to say it, but it was a character, let's not say, but somebody put their hand up as a yes. you know, <laughs> And you sat and said, hello, this is a letter from little Georgia. Uh, uh, birthday wishes from Georgia, who's having a party today. She lives in Piddle Trentide, and she's seven years old, and she'd like Gus to do five bunny hops. And I, I, it, was, it was kind of at the start of the Muppets, and I've always had a thing about puppets, particularly hand puppets. They make me laugh incredibly. And this thing, this Gus at the time, just used to jump up and down. The most exciting he got was a coloured, he'd press a button and it was a chroma key behind so um uh, the, the screen changed color and everything and i thought oh lord this is dull um and i remember sitting there one day going yes could gus do a cartwheel and the girl who was operating who was just out of vision on the screen looked shook her head and went no and made <laughs> gus shake his head i went no don't sit there we're live on screen you're i'm asking you to do a cartwheel and well he started to do a cartwheel, and it all ended in tears, my, me laughing my head off. And from there, it got worse and worse. And then the Muppets started. And, of course, they used to do sketches with things flying through the air. And I yeah. thought, that'd be a great idea. So one day, I got Gus, and I uh, tied him up with all rubber bands like he was on a baby bouncer. And the idea was that the girl would let go of him. He would swing out somebody would catch him the other side and then magically he would come back because there'd be another one. Mm. Anyway, oh, that did end in tears. That nearly took the station off the air because (laughs) I let the rabbit go. He went straight out, hit the camera, (laughs) hit the clock, which governed the whole station. So the guys who were putting the commercials, who had to time it for 30 seconds, 20 seconds, the clocks went, and it was almost like a cartoon clock. You know when Tom and Jerry, when somebody yeah. hits a clock and it goes, and that happened. But to make it worse, Gus was still on these ruddy rubber bands, <laughs> bouncing, and I couldn't catch him. And we were still on the air, and I could hear the engineer out saying, Judy, grab the rabbit! And I'd go, I'm trying to rabbit! <laughs> And they eventually took me off air. And there were other times like that when there was one time I knocked the rabbit's head off. Anyway, we became a bit of a cult. Me and another presenter, Ian Sterling, used to do the most ridiculous things. And we became such a cult that dads used to ring in and say, oh, instead of Gus standing on his head, could Auntie Judy? Which, (laughs) which, Which I did, of course. 
Um, and it oh. just became such a big thing. And we did so many events together. And when I left, um, I was presented with one of the original Gusses, who now lives with me and helps out with charity gigs now oh, and again. brilliant. Yeah. So every cloud. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> now, I never present in this series, Judy Leonard Cohen, but the first time for this song. Tell me about your third choice. My third choice is So Long, Marianne. Um, Leonard Cohen was somebody I didn't really know. One, my first love uh, was Colin down in Lou, and I'm pleased to say we're still great friends. And after, the, after we'd been out for an evening, we all used to go back to a friend's little cottage in the woods. <laughs> I'll draw a veil on it. <laughs> but we used to play this album that had, you know, So Long Marianne and, and All Bird on the Wire, Sisters and all that stuff on it. And I just absolutely loved it. And it was droney, but it was there was something so visceral about it. It just I just found it so emotional. And then I got to read about Leonard Cohen and knew that this song was inspired by Marianne Jensen, um, who Cohen met on the Greek island of Hydra. And then I saw a documentary about Leonard Cohen and he became even more attractive to me. And, of course, he was the most incredible. If you don't like his voice, his writing. Yeah. What a poet. And now, years later, I met his son, Adam. Um, well, interviewed his son, Adam, um, who sounds just like him when he speaks. I, uh, I just, the voice that just goes through me, it's incredible. Your letters, they all say that you're beside me now. Then why do I feel alone? Judy Spires, third choice on this edition of Music Club, First Love from the late Leonard Cohen. When I was growing up, Judy Pebble Mill at one was a family must, a British institution with the likes of uh, Bob Langley, who I think was the first person I ever remember seeing on TV, the late Donnie McLeod and Marianne Foster. You joined uh, in 91. How did that come about? Because this show was not only required TV viewing of its time, but the first real daytime magazine programme. Well, I, it never was um, Pebble Mill at one when I was there. Right. Um, Pebble Mill at one finished, and with it, the sort of end of daytime television. Then they came back with Daytime Live. That's when I joined. It was called Daytime Live, and it was the late 80s. And we fumbled on with this name, with, of course, everybody's still calling it Pebble Mill because the studios are called Pebble Mill. And, you know, typical new bosses, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, it was iconic name, iconic place. Anyway, we daytime live, um, called it something else. And then eventually they said, oh, all right, let's go back to calling it Pebble Mill. But it can't be Pebble Mill at one because we don't go on till 10 past 12. <laughs> so, so we all said, well, Pebble Mill at 10 past 12 ain't going to work, is no. it? But they just, so we just went back to calling it Pebble Mill. Um, so I can't remember what the question was. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, the question was, how did it come your way, really? Oh, well, um, I was doing a program called Bazaar, uh, which was an early daytime program. They put it on BBC Two because they didn't think it would take off. And it was <laughs> it was terribly basic. We filmed it at... Um, where did we film that? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Open University Place, Milton Keynes, that's mm -hmm. right. And uh, it was things like, oh, I don't know... 
home vasectomies with a squeezy bottle and two bricks or how to make how to make shelves and you know it was that awful how to make shelves with planks and things and how to feed a family of eight on baked potatoes and three odor eaters you know <laughs> and it was a really basic daytime show which went down very well and they put it on to BBC One and then they started auditioning for this daytime live or the new daytime programming Kilroy was um, interviewed, you know, so every, the whole morning on BBC was going to change. And I went for the interview, which then turned into an audition. And um, it was it was quite amusing because um, I was probably the most experienced person on the set. Alan Titchmarsh was there, but he'd been a gardener. Um, I think Pamela Armstrong had been a newsreader. And she, but the, the new people they were interviewing, Alan and myself uh, and Ross, um, I had more experience than any of them and I'd had my own chat show and um, I had, we had to do an interview and, and I got the job but it was a sort, as a sort of have a go girl, do the daft stuff, run up and round, up and down, get dressed up, you know, and not do the interviews and of course I really, as I'm saying, I, I was the most experienced person when it came to doing showbiz interviews because I'd had my own chat show. Mm. But I, you know, my friend said, stick it out, you'll see them all off the sofa. Sue Cook was on the sofa and, and uh, Pamela answered, and one by one they left. And then I found myself on the sofa <laughs> doing interviews. Uh, that's how it came about, really. I wanted to ask you about uh, your presentation style. I said in my introduction that I was a fan. I'd sit with my mum if I was home and watch every lunchtime. I've always liked uh, funny people on TV who are not comedians. Jim Davidson used to say that John Virgo was the funniest non-comic <laughs> on TV. I think Claudia Winkleman probably holds that title now. Um, and then we've had the likes of Des Lynham and Terry Wogan. Your style, particularly on TV, is from that ilk. Was that deliberate or was it natural and you you're just being you? That's me. Yeah. That's just me. I, I can't do that formal stuff. I mean, I can do it, but ugh, so can everybody else. Do you know what yeah. I mean? You can, you can get a million people who can read something straight off autocue and look serious and, um, you know, deadly dull. Um, but I, I, when you're interviewing somebody in particular, I want to talk about the things that go wrong. I want to ask them the questions. I want to ask the, the singer that comes on with eight-inch nails as she sorts out her personal little bits and pieces. <laughs> I want, you know, I want to go up to the pop group who have their shirts hanging out and go, now come here, tuck them in, for yeah, goodness sake. Yeah. Yeah, I want to do all that because most things strike me as funny. Mm. I find humour in which has, you know, cost me <laughs> at times, I can tell you, when I'm not meant to be funny. Um, I just, that's my kind of style. And it, it was right, rather interesting. About 15 years ago, I interviewed Davina McCall, and she said, that's where we got it from. We got it from you. And I went, what? She said, well, yes, we were watching you. Mm. And I said, gosh, well, I'm, I'm very flattered. Thank you. And, of course, in regional television, I'm working with The Rabbit. Well, you know, that's yeah. what it was all about, really. You a Rod Stewart fan? <gasps> yes. Oh, I wish he hadn't sung that ruddy Caroline song. Well, uh, he didn't want to do it, did he? No, no. And um, you know, everybody's getting older, and uh, stick to what you know. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, yeah, I love Len I love Rod Stewart. And um, so, you want me to tell you what I've chosen yeah. this next? Well, okay. Um, I'd just gone to drama school, and as I explained, I was not your usual lovely girl from the home counties with long chestnut hair parted in the middle. 
and a lovely voice and a name like Natasha. I was uh, Julie Squires, Devon maid from Plymouth, <laughs> with a skirt up round my backside, me eyelashes and backcombed hair. And, and we had the, the third year through a gig for us, the first years. And we had at my drama school, which was Rose Bruford in Kent, um, we, we had a barn where we used to do a lot of plays. It was done as a, dressed up as an Elizabethan stage and everything. But they put this disco for us on in the barn. And I remember my mother had taken me to Carnaby Street and bought me some almost thigh-high suede boots um, and this wonderful kind of suede outfit. And I thought I was the dog's knees. And I can remember turning up to this concert, this disco being thrown for the for the first years in this outfit, walking towards the barn, feeling a little nervous, and this just rocked out, and I thought, yeah, I'm going for it. Wake up, Maggie, I think I got something to say to you. The next choice, Judy, is from uh, Scottish Brothers. Tell me about Just Say You Love Me from Hue and Cry. Oh, ah, uh, Pat and Greg Kane. Um, I can remember, I didn't know them at all till they came on Pebble Mill. And uh, I didn't know that much about them, started reading about them, Pat Kane as a musician, journalist, political activist. Um, and they came on and they sang this song. And I thought it was such a wonderful, sexy, just, and, and I loved the way they came up. They were both in black suits and they're very, really cool dudes. And I remember talking across the studio um, to Pat, and saying, can I just ask you? And he just turned very slowly and went, what is it, darling? <laughs> and I thought, oh, oh, that, thank you. Just talk to me. Anyway. <laughs> and then they, they played this song and I, I thought, oh, my goodness. And I think you said earlier that it was a song you didn't know. I, I was um, a big fan of their first three and three, four albums, but this one I don't know, no. Looking for Linda and, yeah. and all that stuff. Um but this was just, I just, this was the song they played and I thought, that is so beautiful and I play it whenever I can. My comfort, my comfort and You're listening to Radio Glamorgan's Music Was My First Love with TV and radio broadcaster Judy Spires choosing 10 of her favourite tracks. Broadcasting from the John Wills Studio at the University Hospital of Wales in Cardiff, we are Radio Glamorgan. Ryan, the voice of an angel, Kennedy from his 1996 album, A Better Man, which sadly just reached number 19 in the UK. Uh, but that was a, that was a hit. Um, only 28. And listen to me, I've gone into DJ mode. Sorry. <laughs> 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 I just love that man. Uh, again, first met him when he came onto Pebble Mill. Uh, and for years, of course, he was a backing singer for Van Morrison. Mm -hmm. um, it was probably on the song that we played earlier, but then decided to go solo and brought out some just fabulous songs. He represented um, Ireland in the Eurovision in oh, 2006 and, and it was staggeringly finished in 10th place. It, all I can say is it must have been a duff song uh, because that man's voice, if you listen, I'm so hard pushed to, 
to choose a song from him. Mm. If you hear his version of You Raise Me Up with Secret Garden, that's the best. I'm sorry, that is the best. And then there's Christopher Street. Ah, put the message in. Ah, just wonderful. Lovely guy. Been very ill in last recent years. Last few years, um, but I think he's on the mend now and is touring again. Good, and and it's interesting. Uh, it might sound strange to some people, but um, being a Van Morrison fan, on the albums that he sings on, they mm. somehow they complement each other. Oh God! However well, different they are. Yeah. Uh, wonderful. Now, listen. In the mid nineties, you moved into radio. Yeah. Um, had there always been an itch for that? No. Right. Not at all. It, it's interesting. I hear a, a lot of DJs talking about music was always my passion. It's the only thing I wanted to do. Um, it, broadcasting, I, I wanted to, I like to communicate with people. You know, the stage is about communicating, reaching mm. people. So it wasn't my great love of music. I do like music, um, but, but it, that wasn't what drew me. Uh, it was... It was just another string to the bow, you know, it was a mm. it was a chance. And of course, as I remember Jonathan Ross saying, you know, you're limited screen time, but when there's a radio, you can look like a dog's dinner. It doesn't mm. matter. I'm sure <laughs> I'm you not, didn't. I'm not suggesting at all. No, neither you or Jonathan Ross. <laughs> or you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And, so, and after a stint with the BBC, you moved back home as it was to uh, in 2005 to Radio Devon. Yes. Um... Why did that happen? I'd left Pebble Mill. Um, BBC started to... If I'd stayed on Pebble Mill, I'm quite convinced I would have continued to have a job on Radio 2. Um, but at the time, they wanted, you know, faces. And, you know, I disappeared from the screen uh, on a daily programme. So mm. they were... And the BBC was all about... Um, in making programmes in-house, and I was with a company that was making it freelance for them, and the bosses come in there, change their mind as to what they want, and, you know, one minute you're in, one minute you're out. So I left, and I was working for the Travel Channel, travelling the world, having a great time making films. Um, Was living, we moved back from Dorset, we moved back home to Devon, and um, I got a phone call from the local um, BBC boss, John Lilly, saying, hello, you don't know me. Um, have you ever considered working on local BBC? And I must be honest, and I hands up, and I've apologised for this since, I was a right old snob. And I thought, no, oh, local radio, oh, for goodness sake. I now realise how important mm. it is. And when it's good, at its best, it's the best. At its worst, it's embarrassing. But when it's good, it's and it's like local television. It's the chance, to, it's the training ground for you. Yeah. Anyway, I started off doing a, a Saturday program and uh, it became popular. And I met him for lunch one day with some ideas of, and he said, well, yeah, yeah, well, here's some ideas for the program, but here's a better idea. Why don't you do a daily program for us? And that was it. Lovely. Thank you. <laughs> Who is Paul Milnes? Now... Um, it was whilst doing my uh, local radio programme that um, a, a CD came in and they said, listen to this, this guy's touring. Um, do you want to interview him? And I put the CD on and I thought, oh, my God, what a voice. Then I started to read about the guy. He toured with Alexis Corner, um, Eric Burden, Dr. Hook, 
but Yank, she's worked opening for John Mayle, Murray Head, Ralph oh. McTell, John Martin. Um, and I thought, this is incredible. Um, and he was big in Germany, big in, in Europe. And I thought, yeah, these are like the clubs, the jazz, bluesy stuff. Yeah. He just had such a smoky, jazzy, effortless voice. And as just about every track from this album that I had, uh, I thought, oh, I've got to play that. Oh, I've got to play that every week. Um, but this is the one that particularly just struck me. It's When Love Comes Calling. Because my life has been an empty story Tossed and turned on every storm But I pray this time enough to find the one My heart is longing for If you like that, play another one from that album. Um, home for the weekend. It's about people feeling a bit guilty about going home and see their folks for the weekend. It's oh, it's a heartbreaker. Now, you've interviewed a lot of people over forty years plus, um, oh. and I vividly remember an on-location interview you did many, many years ago with Kirk Douglas. Uh, any particular people you met that have stayed in the memory? Oh, my husband always laughs when, he, when people ask me about interviews because he knows I always say, "Oh, Kirk Douglas, here we All go." All right, okay. Um, Jack Nicholson, yeah. uh, Burt Bacharach, oh, Burt Bacharach, those blue eyes. Uh, we meant to have a 10-minute interview, and it turned into, like, 45 minutes. Um, and I remember Sandy Shaw went off in a huff because she was waiting to speak to him, and he ran over with me. Um, who, who else? Um, uh, Jack Lemmon, um, Rod Steiger, uh, the, big, the big Hollywood yeah. stars. Where you wanted yeah. to be. yes. I never put that together, really, but, yeah, the people who live lives. Uh, but yeah, you, you, yeah. you joke that your husband always laughs. Is that Kirk Douglas one very special? Well, it was... I, I remember sitting in his back garden uh, in Hollywood, uh, which is where we did the interview. Yeah. I remember it being outdoors, yeah. Yeah, and I, I remember thinking, oh, I wish my daddy was here. I wish my daddy was alive yeah. to see this because they were all the big men, the big people from my father's era. And I just, now, you know, you know when you, I remember when the Beatles came out and my dad went, I didn't write that song, Dirty Layabouts. Well, he wouldn't have said that about Kirk Douglas. The, these were the stars, you know. Mm. And to do an interview like that was just wonderful. And Jack Lemon and oh, you know, yeah, so lot, yeah. There's quite a few. It's hard. It's like choosing ten records. And well, I, sorry, oh, <laughs> I've just realised I've made a terrible, terrible mistake. Oh, what have you left off? Um, well, I've chosen the next person. Yeah. Um, but I could have put him together with my all-time favourite singer as well, and I and I haven't chosen her because um, I've I've asked for a George Michael song. Yeah. But I could have stuck him with Aretha Franklin. Uh, who I was watching on one of you know Sky TV do that they Sky Arts Channel do yeah, these wonderful yeah. programs and I was watching the other night the one about Aretha Franklin who was just I mean the Queen of Soul and that wonderful that wonderful video with her and uh, George Michael singing I knew you were waiting. However, well the day we got... the day we're recording this um, yeah. last night on uh, BBC Four. Yeah. Uh, they had uh, a series of programs about her. They had a, a May, American Made for TV concert with uh, Shalala. Shalala. Yes. Yeah. Shalala, she called or something at the Albert Hall. Yeah. And, yes. And um, 
also the making of um, the gospel album that she did, Amazing right. Grace, was yeah. on as well, which was just fantastic. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. So you've chosen um, You Have Been Loved by George I, Michael. I have. Um, I came to this late. I, I, sometimes I'm not great fans of people. It's an awful thing to say until they die. Yeah. And then I look at everything and watch these documentaries and think, wow. It, sometimes it's not just what you hear and see that, that feeds you. It, it, you know, it's like, I like that. I don't like it. It's the more you know about somebody can add to that love of what you're seeing. It's the same with art as well. You yeah. can look at a picture and think, that's rubbish. You hear about how it came about and it changes your attitude. Anyway, I came quite late to this one. Um, I think it was um, 96 he brought it out. And it was written about his lover, uh, Anselmo Filippo, who died of uh, an AIDS-related illness three years before. Um, I think it only got to number two behind Elton John's Candle in the Wind charity record. But it's just George Michael at his most reflective and deepest best. And I, I think it's, it's a shame he didn't listen to the title, You Have Been Loved. She thinks of when the boy was young All the battles she had it won't surprise you to know that in over 70 of these programmes, uh, he is one of the most chosen solo artists, George Michael. Gosh, not surprised, not surprised. Broadcaster Georgie, oh, Geordie, sorry, I'll do that again. <laughs> Geordie Spires here. <laughs> Broadcaster Judy Spires is my guest on this edition of Music Was My First Love. And Judy, I wanted to ask you about a couple of causes very close to your heart. Uh, mm -hmm. How did you get involved with the Cornwall Hospice Care? Um, well, hospice, uh, the hospice movement itself, I think, is just incredible. Mm. I think it's, a, I think it's um, outrageous in this day and age that, that we have to raise money to, for, for buildings and organisations that help people to live and die with dignity. Um, my brother went into hospice in Plymouth, St Luke's, and a very great friend of mine went into the Cornwall Hospice, um, which which just made such a difference to his to his dying, um, the panic uh, of his illness, the way he was treated in a, in a, in a, by a certain hospital. Just the, as soon as he went in to that hospice um, in Cornwall, uh, he relaxed. It was like everything is taken care of. I think people have this idea that there are some dreadful sort of dark mausoleum-type places. Mm. They're the most joyful places. Though I work with the one in, with, in Exeter as well called Hospice Care. Um, and you go through the door and from reception it says, hello, and there's always people having coffee and it's joyful. No long faces. It's, oh, and memories, I know it sounds an extraordinary thing to say, memories are made in hospices as well. Mm. Um, I've heard from so many people who've been able to be with a, with a partner, with a father, with somebody and spend days with them and nights through their passing and, and been able to talk and know that they're getting the best possible care to, to die with dignity, which, which we sh should all be able to have. So that's how I, I kind of got involved with the Cornwall one. And you're also, or you were, you still the face of uh, the Wild Planet Trust? Um, sadly not. It's all changed hands. Um, it's a funny thing happened. Um, well, it's not funny at all. Uh, but since COVID struck, 
various organizations have folded or changed hands mm. and well for obvious reasons fundraising sure. became very very difficult so no no longer with them i work um uh, with some other places as well um a place called in focus uh, which used to be called wesk which is for young people uh young adults uh with with severe disabilities it started off with with sight uh, but it, you can there, there can be youngsters with no hearing with very little movement with no speech and that's an incredible place as well because i think we all like to think that if god forbid we had a child or, or a partner or somebody who who was had a terrible uh, was born with a, just some kind of big problem that the state can pick it up and deal with it and we'll get we'll get help hmm. but sadly there isn't always help um, and you can fall through the net. There isn't always somewhere for your child, for your young person. It, there just isn't. And so these, these organisations, you know, pop up and they have to raise millions. I go, I think, talking about hospice, I know the Exeter Hospice has to raise seven and a half million a year Jeez. to keep going. That's to help people live yeah. and die with dignity. Seven and a half million a year. Anyway, um, so I, yeah, I work with, with quite a few charities when I can and to do what I can. And in fact, um, for hospice, Gus and I were doing coffee mornings. It was invite Judy and Gus to do um, oh, to right. your coffee morning. Huh. And, we, and we raised a lot of money. Um, you know, we're going to two coffee mornings a day. I put on about five pounds uh, <laughs> with cake and everything. Uh, we got great sponsorship from the local Mercedes uh, garage. It was just great fun. But you're right, we, you, you shouldn't have to work hard to make sure a place stays open to give people a dignity at the end. No, not at all. Among your choices tonight, uh, two Irish, two Scottish, and our third uh, Irish artist, the wonderful Cranberries. Firstly, uh, you like your Celts, don't you? Well, you know, I've never thought of it. I, I really haven't analysed it like that, but I love haunting things, Um not, ooh, I don't mean like that. I mean, I love haunting lyrics yeah. and sounds. And and very often, um, although I, I was brought up in Devon, I spent a lot of time in Cornwall, which has got a lot of Celtic, you know, so I love, know the fishermen's friends, and I love those choirs. And as I've got older, those kind of sounds, there's something haunting about them. But the Cranberries, I didn't, weren't a fan. I wasn't a fan. Um, they were sort of, you know, alternative they called them didn't they yeah. um i didn't really know much about them at all until i joined a choir this year um and uh, called lala choir run by the wonderful samantha abrahams who was behind the military wives choir she started the first one down here in limston and we had to do this song and this song came out just at the time of Ter Derry's girl, Derry Girls. Yeah. Well, they used it. It didn't come out then. We were learning it just at the time. It was a wonderful Derry Girls on television. Did you watch yes, that? Yes, I did. Yeah. Oh, my. Well, being a convent girl myself um, and seeing what they got up to, I'm telling you what they got up to is nothing compared <laughs> to what we got up to. I mean, I'm, I'm Jewish and I went to a convent, which allowed me certain... Well, yeah, I was treated quite pretty, pretty well. Um, but the things we got up to, when I watched uh, th that program, Derry's Girl, I was straight on to our, our school group and saying, come on, girls, 
out with the stories you must remember and they all came out but this particular song was used at the end of the series uh, when the troubles were over in Ireland and I, I thought it was brilliant it was so effective it's what I was saying to you just now I could have heard this song before and, and it, did, it didn't mean an awful lot to me then I saw it attached to this and it's given it another leg mm. do you see what I mean yeah, and yeah. then we had to learn it at choir now I'm a tenor which means most of the time you get dum 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 while everybody else gets the lovely tune and the lyrics so don't ever ask me to do karaoke because I only know the tenor part and it's my husband will walk around the house and say what are you singing I go can't don't you recognize it goes no I go well that's because I've got the tenor part well but not yeah. not only have I enjoyed all the songs you've chosen so far, but I've enjoyed you singing along to every single one. <laughs> <laughs> so this song is uh, Dreams. Your final choice, Judy, is uh, from Junior Walker and the All-Stars. Tell me about yeah. I'm a Roadrunner. Yeah, go and finish with a bit of Motown. Um, this is a, my husband and I have very different musical tastes. We cross over on Van Morrison, but he's, he's very much a swampy blues man, although I'm getting to like it. B.B. King, J.J. Cale, anybody yeah, with an initial man. I can see. But anyway, um, but when this first came on when we were together and he went, ah, oh, what a song, and I said, one of my favourites. And the one thing, well, not the one thing that Motown do well is saxophone. Mm. I think that is the best, best ever, the saxophone. And, of course, Junior Walker plays the sax on this. It's just an incredible, incredible song. Even, even when you remember the silly cartoon of Roadrunner, yeah. you, you can't help but love it. It's just fantastic. After a long and, and very successful career, uh, I know we talked about all the big names that you'd interviewed, but... What are the biggest highlights that happen to make you proud as you look back? Oh, Lord. Um, oh, gosh. Um, oh, what, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I, I really don't know what to say. I, I can't answer that. Kirk Douglas? Oh, I see. You're talking about... <laughs> no, in general. People. Yeah, in um, general, really. I, I'm, I'm proud of being able to put something back. Um, yeah. Um, Yes, yeah, there's, there's plenty of people I'm thrilled to have interviewed or musicians uh, that I've been... But it's, it's the people you meet. I remember yeah. um, on local radio, we were, we were doing a piece about bowel cancer because I lost my father and my brother to bowel cancer. And um, we were, I had a, a colorectal surgeon, in, a top colorectal surgeon, Ian Daniels, who's wonderful talking about poo and stuff and, you know, and, and it was just when those things came out the, the home testing kits yeah. and people don't do it i don't know whether they think the person in the post office is going to look at it and go oh okay. <laughs> you know they don't do it and it's so easy now and i just think you know if my dad and my brother had had those home testing kits they might still be alive today mm. um and so to be able to do things like that and 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 to help people and i was at an event afterwards uh, after that broadcast and uh, a couple in their 30s came up to me and the girl said, just want to say, Judy, because we heard what you were talking about, we took him to the doctor and he's been diagnosed with it. But 
early. We've caught it really early, and he's so, okay. Yeah. And then, and, and that meant an, that meant an awful lot. And and then I can remember just getting a postcard. It wasn't signed by anyone, and it was just a lovely postcard. And it said, "My wife was listening to you broadcasting on the last day she was alive, and you made her laugh." And I thought, "Oh my lord." That's what broadcasting's about. Not not the big stars you've met. Mm. It's what it can do, how it can connect with people, how it can help people. Um, so I'm I'm proud of those moments, I guess. And future plans? Well, I'm I'm with Boom Radio. Excellent. <laughs> I'm with Boom for baby baby boomers. I'm sorry, I've got to give it a plug. Yeah, please um, do. It's picking up. All the people who love the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, all the stuff Radio 2 has decided they don't want anymore um, for listeners who... And what I love about it, what I really love about it is where you have an album like We All Loved No Secrets by Carly Simon, Mm. but it wasn't just the, you know, You're So Vain that we loved. There was the Carter family. And we play tracks from the albums you used to listen to that nobody else plays. Yeah. So I'm working for Boom and loving every minute of it. It's an incredible company. Uh, I'm on Sunday afternoons, 4 till 6, um, on Boom, and uh, I'm on Bank Holiday Monday, 4 to 6 as well, and I usually cover for people. I don't, I don't want a daily... I don't want a daily job. I do. I write for the local newspapers and glossy magazines down here. I have a, a fuller life than I've ever, ever had. But that bit of broadcasting, that bit of connection, love it. Judy Spires, it's been a real personal thrill chatting with you as much as listening to your song choices. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Music Was My First Love on Radio Glamorgan, where broadcaster Judy Spires has been choosing ten of her favourite songs. I'm Andrew Wolfe, and join me again soon when someone else chooses ten of their favourite tracks on another edition of Music Was My First Love. Music of the future